Badly, a topical, political, and occasionally nonsensical podcast about mental health nursing in the UK. Your host is Stuart McKenzie and me, Ed Freshwater. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. I don't think either of us actually know what we're doing in this. I don't know if we know why we're doing this, but the two of us kind of are basically extremely gobby nurses, and I think we just needed to <laughs> we needed an outlet to get our frustration out in public. Uh, the introduction is, hi, my name's Ed Freshwater, and I'm a mental health nurse, and I live in Birmingham. Stuart, what's your name, and what do you do? I'm Stuart McKenzie, and I'm a mental health nurse, and I live in Glasgow. This is the start of our new podcast called RMN Behaving Badly, which is what we are. We're um, going to sit and have uh, opinions about mental health nursing in the United Kingdom. It's going to be topical. It's going to be very political. It's going to be unprofessional in a couple of places, and those are the bits that we'll bleep out, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we're both sat here with a decent whiskey in our hands. It is, uh, it is quite late in the evening. We've put the kids to bed, and we're now going to feel at liberty to swear and uh, and bemoan the state of the uh, of the union. I thought uh, for this being our our inaugural episode, I thought we should probably name it. Oh my God, the state of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that is that rhetorical? Is it the state of this? Is, is your this the same as yeah. my this? It, it's <laughs> the actual state of this. And I I don't know. I, I thought it would be good for us to just spitball some ideas and, and get stuff out not you know it's important that that you and i speak about these things and share it publicly because i i do um you know quite honestly feel that the the voice of cisgender white heterosexual men is really not represented in the media to the uh, absolutely <laughs> I, I mean all you have to do is watch the news to see that yeah we're just particularly uh, the bbc yeah we're, we're just silenced and uh we need to get our voice out there but uh, it's just it's just been the the general election, which well was either a, a resounding triumph if you're a sociopath, or um, a bit of a national disaster if you're if you have a soul. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Stuart? Ed, I think yeah, the, the concept of soul. Yes, there are a few that need saving and a few that need um, are more like demons that need excised, like a good boil, like pluck. Um, there appears to be even more of them on the landscape of British politics than ever and I have to say in an unpartisan way I mean that across the political spectrum I don't think there's a political party um, who came out of that general election with without something that made them look either introverted or a little bit nasty or a little bit one dimensional. And I can say that with sitting here as I look out my window in Glasgow at the 50 foot wide Scottish nationalist flags that appear to be emerging like um, mm-hmm. the, the kind of American um, style mm-hmm. of nationalism. And, uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not joking. I've never known a time to see as many flags associated with nationalism. And that's not to, that's not to poo poo the SNP. I think that's a reflection of how people feel. They've, have to find a way of expressing their identity. That's the same as me as a nurse. How do I express my identity? I don't have a flag. You know. Do you want a flag? Is is that what we're getting at? Have a flag, but but I think it's that that's the the way it's gone, isn't it? It's colours and flags, and you know, health and social care seems to be stuck between these two major issues, which are constitutional, 
in 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 their essence, but ultimately they will have massive implications for how the health and social care of the nation is delivered, is planned, is funded. So for me, that 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 general election is is essentially it's just a complete cluster. <laughs> Bad car crash, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no consensus has come out of it. Let's get Brexit done. Well, right. I only what, wish what the Tories, <laughs> I only wish the Tories had said, let's get the NHS fixed. Let's mm-hmm. get people to stop dying twenty years too young. Like, I wish they had they had gone with the same vero- you know ferociousness towards actually helping the nation than um, getting Brexit done. I mean, what does that? I don't even know what that means, Ed. What does getting Brexit done mean? Does that, that is that at any cost? Well, the, th- the thing is, Stuart, you would understand it if you weren't such a liberal snowflake Ramona. All right, okay. Um, and it's it's clearly you didn't get the the memo. Uh, to the, be fair, the... not many Tory memos get delivered in Scotland. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's because they privatised the Royal Mail, isn't it? Well, I would have to say that's probably because most of the Royal Mail guys put them straight in the wheelie bin, and I, 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 I say that as um, I say that as a joke, just in case anyone <laughs> believes that that actually happens. I wouldn't want any brothers or sisters in Royal Mail to um, get into bother. But essentially, yeah, it's pretty much just kindling around these parts. Mm-hmm. We certainly have um, turned a, a corner, not a nice one, but we've turned a corner into a. Uh, a, a world where actually just telling the truth is not taken for granted, where, yeah. where telling the truth is is potentially something that other people do, um, and and I think if we sort of approach it from a from a sort of mental health perspective, if the country were a patient, how would we describe it in clinical notes? If we if we were to say. <laughs> Would we would we say this country clearly needs a capacity assessment? You know, <laughs> but do you think Europe should be making a vulnerable adult referral for it <laughs> <laughs> to the UN? <laughs> yeah, could, you know, yeah. I mean, could it, a special rapporteur come and please have a look at Britain because we, we're not we don't think they're well. Scotland, um, um, you know, Scotland want another independence referendum. Could we have a responsible adult present yeah. just to make sure they have capacity to make the decision? Because we think Westminster might be relapsing. And, uh... oh, and, I mean, even talk through that history. How does that? How does that assessment go? Hi, hi there, um, Mister UK. Um, so, so what age are you? You know, and then if you if you use the age is the age of the NHS. So let's say if you were born out of a great social conscience after a massive crisis in Europe to world wars, millions of people left dead, billions of people's lives across the world affected mm. by the aftermath of it. Literally, but somehow, yeah. you, somehow you pulled through it um, you got stabilised on a, a diet of um, socialist conscience and, um, and, and the, the fear, <laughs> you know, the fear, the fear mm-hmm. of, of more, you know, um, deaths. Um, we, um, you know, we, we, we accept now that um, when people say that a, a group of individuals are being slaughtered because of their race, that that can happen and we don't turn a blind eye to that because, you know, um, Holocaust um, is not, you know... It, it happened and it's bad, so we shouldn't be accepting that thing. And actually, mm-hmm. let's bring people here from the Commonwealth. And yeah, yeah. So you've, you've, you know. And then, so what went wrong? And 
Oh, yeah, this, you know, in, in the 80s, um, we decided that it was really a good idea for everyone to just look after them, them themselves. Yeah. And, 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 my, and, 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 you know, my community fell apart and, and, and a little bit of hope left and the symptoms started to come back, you know, and then fast forward and, you know, I just feel a little bit burnt out now and I don't really think that anything can help me and, and these thoughts of hopelessness and helplessness, you know, are they symptoms or is it real? Well, I've got to say it's, it's, it's bloody real. Yeah. You know, if you're someone on the periphery of society right now and you're going to speak to your 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 nurse your mental health nurse and you're a busy rmn working in a, a, a liaison team i mean let, let's look where are where, where do our patients exist on, on the real peripheries ed i don't know what your mm-hmm. thoughts are mine's either in things like police custody suites mm-hmm. accident emergency in our prisons oh yeah um our young people in secure care under bridges you know uh, you know, in, in underpasses, and um, um, living in round tents. the back of shops, round the back mm-hmm. of shops, trying to get a heat at this time of year, and shelters, um, and we've got nurses in all of those environments, and mental health nurses. How do you? I mean, I, I, I don't know that this is a question. I, I think that that's so deep seated in me. How do you? You know, I've been that nurse. How do you keep yourself going when you know that actually you're trying to give people hope in a society where people would quite happily see them? expunged or, or or taken out of the problem yeah i i, I mean my a, a lot of my day job you know working in a in a crisis team is is being called out and i, I go to places like the salvation army shelters i go to the all of these uh hmos the houses of uh, multiple occupancy that uh-huh. are everywhere in the sort of post-industrial part of the city um, all of these factories that have been turned into um, refuges and shelters and supported, so-called supported accommodation. Um, you know, I, I was in so one the other day. So rounding people up and putting them all together. Yeah, yeah, in, in a form of factory. Yeah. Ghettoizing. Um, I mean, I was in one that was an office block and this guy was in a bedroom and it was an office that had had all the office furniture taken out, a miniature fridge put in and a bed. And a bedside table, but there were still marks on the wall of where, like, the health and safety poster used to be, <laughs> and and you could still see where the, you know, the person's pin board had been from when it was an office. You know, it hadn't been painted, it hadn't been cared for or updated or anything. It was stick a bed in there, get their housing benefit. A lot of these people are either homeless or under threat of homelessness. Um, how many of them? I'm. I've really lost track of how many people I see on a daily basis whose um, benefits have been stopped because whilst in psychotic crisis, they missed an appointment. Um, You know, whilst feeling suicidal, they weren't able to fill in a form. Uh, You know, whilst they were extremely disordered, they didn't understand what the person on the phone. Yeah. From the anxiety disorder they've had for 15 years and social phobia. This meant they've probably only been out of the house supported by a healthcare professional or a third sector provider. In the last 15 years, all of a sudden, someone doing a PIP assessment thought that they'd managed to get out of the house, get in a taxi or a bus and make their way there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with no money. And and a lot of these people are, are of course, you you know, Birmingham is a a city of refuge. Um, I know a lot of refugees in this city. I know a lot of people who have come here claiming asylum who've come from Eritrea, they've come from Sudan, they've come from Sierra Leone, and they've 
had you know no recourse to public funds they are in the nastiest accommodation that you could imagine and they're low in mood and and all of that and but the message that's coming at them from society from you know your average bloke on a on a bus your your daily express reading man in the pub is that they're not welcome here and we want them gone and and it's it's just this ridiculous thing that Birmingham is a city of refuge and we're like if you're a refugee you can come here except everybody here wants you deported and penniless and we don't really you know it, it's saying Gosh. we don't give a shit about you and we don't care where you go but just so long as it's away from here and and there's the effect on the person's mental health and it's like yeah, well, I... what what illness have you got I'll tell you what my what my illness is. My illness is your effing attitude, and the whiskey well, is kicking in, and I'm starting to rant now. So let's. Uh... No, but, but I think <laughs> I think it goes back to this thing. I mean, it's so easy for us to be if you're if you're afraid and you're alone, um, you're isolated from your community. You're you know whether you are an indigenous person of one of the cities that we live in, or whether you've come you know it's you know two thousand miles. Um, <clears throat> from Eastern Europe, or you know, however th- many hundreds or thousands of miles it is from from you know East Africa, fleeing conflict and persecution. You know, it would be nice to think that somebody somewhere in the world actually gave a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that some and that 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 and for me that's nothing. It doesn't matter what your politics are. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what your cultural background is. It's our job to really give a damn about people and, and to give mm-hmm. them hope. And to give them a sense that someone cares for them, and even though we might not be part of their community, we're there to enable their recovery, and we're there to enable the, you know a level of positivity. But how do how do we as RMNs dealing with people on that? How do we keep up hope now? Ed? That's the thing. Mm-hmm. That's why this podcast excites me. That's why I want to sit here and talk with you yeah. and have an excuse to have a dram. <laughs> and, and pull that out yeah. and, and you know you were talking about you know people um, how many of those you know I, I think we're going to have to accept anybody listening to this if anybody chooses to is this we have a particular view of a particular subset of people yeah. who are intent on running what I hold dear like the NHS social care um, the infrastructure of education and access to education free health care they, they don't want the same things as you and I Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need a way of, you know, you, you'd said the, the, the Daily Mail reading guy uh, or women on the bus. How many of these people actually own second and third properties and are happy to rent them out to people seeking accommodation from these countries? Mm-hmm. How many of these people benefit directly or indirectly? from those individuals being here but are happy to perpetuate the mantra of get Brexit done. Well Half some of them some of them are in parliament. Yeah. Yeah. But this this was leading to my point. They are mm-hmm. the elite. And and getting Brexit done, and I think we've still not they've still not you know, the people aren't grasping this. This is this was about EU managed migrancy. Mm-hmm. None of this debate was ever about non EU residency. And Africa, and you know non-EU countries, and I, I, I'm really proud of the, the way that Scotland has accepted refugees, and the Scottish government have been really clear that this is a place that you can come and come and contribute. And we'll support you to get to a point where you can contribute. 
Nobody should have to land on a beach or a or, or come in the back of a truck and claim asylum or refuge and then be immediately have to contribute as you hit the ground. Mm-hmm. How how's that an investment in an individual's health and well-being? Well, I I always find this sort of um, this sort of thing really interesting in a country where people will people on that side of the argument will also bang on about traditional Christian values that are being eroded by all these migrants. And it's just like, do you mean like that that Christian value of telling people in crisis to get stuffed? And uh, but nobody's stepping in in the media and trying to put that down and try to square that round and say, yeah, hold on, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know. And and in health and social care, you know, let's be absolutely clear. For us as nurses, and I, and in my career as a mental health nurse working in forensic services. My job is often to care for and meet the mental health and physical health needs um, of individuals who've done things that these same papers would have them put against a wall and shop for. Yes, and and, and I've been there too in, in my time in forensics, you know. It is that. So, so the nurse has got a role, uh, particularly mental health, of um speaking up on behalf of these people who are yeah. i mean talk about the ultimate in the periphery a, a person who have who has done some obscene profane act against society somebody that's killed someone or, or abused someone still is a person they still have mental health spiritual social needs that Absolutely. need to be met and and we as mental health nurses, find ourselves in that position of having to provide that care for basically the untouchables of society. But we're being squeezed now. We're being squeezed. Yeah. There are less of us. I don't give an, I don't give a damn what any politician says. There is less of us than there has ever been. Yeah. So in there the last 10 years, the number of mental health nurses in England alone has dropped by 6,800 nursing posts. That's not nurses that left. That's Post that has post. been cut. Yeah. yeah. And let's be absolutely clear. It's not, I don't believe it's, a, we, we're not pitching ourselves out there as some academic, um, you know, we're not going to articulate this like an episode of Question Time or, you know, the South Bank show. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming if, you know, you, people can go and do their own research around this, but the reality of the matter is there is less of us, mm-hmm. which means people have less access to us. Mm-hmm. which means that there's less of our knowledge and less of our professional expertise designing services, yeah. conceiving of services, being able to advise on how a service should look, engaging with service users to help them have a voice about what services they receive should look like. Mm-hmm. You know, you but take at, away at the same health time, nurses, yeah. you remove advocates. Absolutely. And at the same time, all of these awareness raising uh, campaigns have increased the number of people that are looking for help and the impact of austerity. And it is completely undeniable that the impact of austerity has increased the not just the number of people that need support, but also the acuity of, of um, people's uh, people's symptoms. Um, plus, th- there was one great um, one great study I, I looked at and they said actually one in four people. Um, never mind one in four people experiencing uh, mental health. One in four people that they spoke to spoke <laughs> of um, increased levels of depression and anxiety just relating to Brexit. And, and I so, was anxious about it all. Yeah. 
so we've got the impact of austerity, but we've also got the impact of the Brexit horribleness, the, the entire debate going on there. Um, so we've cut the number of people that can deal with a problem at the same time saying to folk, go out and get help, seek help. You need Find to speak to, to people to. about it. Find someone to talk to. Um, open up and all of that. And we're also in a situation where society is making everything, all of the social determinants of mental health, we're making all of those worse. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, so. y- y- let's talk about, um, you know, the thing that you and I have heard a lot of, or I, I know that I certainly have in recent um, in recent times, has been around adverse childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the concept of um, of events in a child's life affecting attachment and and you know affecting their ability to cope with with stress and and again this is not an academic show and you know I could probably speak much more eloquently without um, sitting with headphones on having a whiskey but the reality of the matter is you look at it I can immediately type into any search engine the number of children looking for statistics of the number of children in the UK living in poverty now the shelter a charity which I hold in great esteem um, Mm -hmm. and have never known to have never known to waver in their position have a very very singular view um, and hold all governments to account but Shelter Scotland um, have produced figures over the last few years and it's damning around the number of children who are living in poverty in Scotland mm-hmm. yeah, regardless of your politics put it aside um, you know and, and, and their major studies in 2017-2018 one in four children in Scotland were living in poverty now if you, if, you, if you take that figure and you then look at how we're now training people to be able to recognise adverse childhood experiences in a way that we've never done before Mm-hmm. So whereas people like ourselves as RMNs would have had a greater insight into those things, attachment theory, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Piaget's psychological development, we would have had an understanding of how those um, adverse experiences might manifest themselves, whether it's in a, in a kind of traumatised or an anxiety type disorder, we see these young people coming through CAMs. In fact, we often don't see a lot of these people until they're in early adulthood and into their 20s oh, no, and 30s. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you fast forward 15 years and we've done all this training around adverse childhood experiences and we're saying at this point in time, some some research saying one in four and some saying, some saying one in four, some saying one in five in Scotland are, are living in poverty right now. What's that going to do to the number, number of people presenting with adverse childhood experiences and associated trauma and attachment issues? Yeah. And who's going to look after them? Nobody. And who's going to stop their symptoms from becoming so debilitating that they make poor lifestyle choices, that they make poor relationship choices, that they they make negative decisions? You know, they're not my decisions to make. I may not make those same decisions. I'm not casting judgment. But in terms of their health outcomes, these are negative decisions that they're making. Because there's not the same investment going into the schools to talk about how they can help themselves. There's still this view that we're going to save everybody. The National Health Service will pick it up. Mm-hmm. When it when when it's exposed, it will pick it up. But that's well, just well, kicking it that down the road, work? though, isn't it? That, that's yeah, just... Like, somebody will deal with that eventually. Yeah, and, and the reality of the matter is that eventually there will be nobody there. 
there will just be lots of people who've had adverse childhood experiences who've grown up in really poor social circumstances that were not of their making, like their parents and their grandparents probably did, and particularly after austerity, where people have lived in this this limbo of um, poverty where if they get a job, they're actually worse off. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no incentive to get work. And then they come and see people like us, and we work with our colleagues in OTs and our other AHP colleagues, and we say to people, good structured time management is excellent for you. It'll increase you know, your sense of self-worth and work. Yeah, but, but I'm barely getting by on my benefits, and if I work, I'm going to have less money because yeah. the minimum wage doesn't... Plus, but I'm on a zero-hour contract as well, yeah, so yeah, I might yeah, be getting yeah. paid next week, but there's no guarantee that I'll get paid the week after. But if I quit that job, then I won't get any benefits and I won't get paid. And, and am I right in saying it takes 12 weeks to get your benefits reinstated? Yep. I and mean, that's, that's been the stuff I'm hearing from, from you know, people who work in my services and work with me, that you know it doesn't matter if they say, yeah, that we can turn that around. You know, we would rather people came in and, in and out and off and on benefits and got work experience. Well, that's great. But when the first time you go try to get back on and it takes 12 weeks and you've only been working for six weeks, are you going to are you going to do that again? Because mm-hmm. six weeks' rest? salary at minimum wage obviously well, will well, last. If you're a merchant banker, if you're yeah. a merchant banker, mm-hmm. right? Are you a hedge fund manager? You know, yes, but, perhaps. Uh, but you have to remember that hedge fund managers are not the sort of people that get themselves into that sort of situation, Stuart. They're uh, they're altogether a better class of people, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, they manage their problems through. Um, they they manage their problems through a, a, a liberal um, use of classy substances. Thank Sorry, you, I'm Mr. Just Michael using, Gove. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the 1980s, 90s, um, you know, the Bitcom. I've met a few. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a generalisation that has it ceased to be true with age. But. Yeah, well, it's like tattoos with footballers, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 there's no match-up in terms of service delivery. Um, we're not we're not demand managing. We're not designing services for five, ten, fifteen years down the road. We're constantly designing our services to deal with the individuals who we elect to use health as a battering ram to bludgeon one another to pay lip service to listening to us. I mean, let's look at the the, the, the pay cap that we had to fight. Yeah. You know, let's look at what, what our colleagues in Northern Ireland are facing. And they've been in integrated health and social care far longer than any of the rest of us, you know, generations now. And then, you know, they're, they're in a situation where we can't, um, you know, nurses have had, you know, a pay austerity way beyond any acceptance, any acceptable length of time. And there's something like two and a half thousand uh, registered nurse vacancies in Northern Ireland right now. <laughs> And uh, and 500 um, support worker vacancies as well. So so we're short of 3,000 people. Yeah. Uh, in and, in the hospitals, and this is just in Northern Ireland. And and if we say that, I mean, and if you then say, yeah, we're short, um, we're short those 3,000 people. Even if you got, ma- even if you managed to get those jobs through some form of scrutiny panel to prove mm-hmm. that the jobs are needed, right? Because mm-hmm. we live in times of austerity in every job, and I understand. Even if you got those, where are those people coming from, Ed? Yeah. Where, where, where are those, where are those, where are those people coming from? Where, you know, if you look at sickness 
and, and, and mental health illness in, in nursing and the number of our colleagues who are of experienced, articulate, educated, compassionate people mm-hmm. who get to a point where they themselves are driven to be off sick, suffering either vicariously, I mean, and I, and I don't think we give enough credit to the vicarious nature mm-hmm. of how working with people who are on the peripheries every single day then impacts on their health and well-being. You know, those days of, yeah, just park it at the door when you go home. <laughs> I, I think the, the problem with that with that phrase of park it at the door, it was never true. It was, no. it was only ever an excuse. And, and I think to some extent and this is going way off topic and i think we'll need to do an episode on this later but but the park it at the door what is the difference between the park it at the door philosophy and uh you need to work on your resilience yeah it's just a change uh, uh, of terminology and you just it? toss it in there We're talking about workforce yes we need some resilience talking about staff well-being we need some resilience mm-hmm. you know winter contingency plans resilience yeah, it's it, it, it's the word for all seasons. Mm-hmm. It's the word for all problems. You know, when in actual fact, what I'd rather talk about is capacity. There is no capacity. You don't run a system to the max. You have capacity in it. Capacity is not something that you should squeeze out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be running services to the point where you're, you know, you, you don't drive a car just because it says it can do 135 on the speedo. And you know, nine thousand yeah. revs. You don't drive it that like that all the time. No. But yet, you know, we you we we are driving our NHS like some, you know, pre, you know, new labour mid nineties Ford, mm-hmm. and and it's not been serviced or MOT'd for years. You can build as many hospitals, and let's not even get into how many hospitals Boris was building. You build as many hospitals as you want. And our experience recently has been that even when you build them, you're building them as well as British Leyland build cars in the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s. You know, yeah. we are building hospitals that are not fit for purpose the same way that British Leyland built cars, knowing that most of them were leaving the production line with drip trays under the sumps. Mm-hmm. You're not telling me that there is no national um, understanding of, of... I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in Glasgow at one of the, at the largest hospital in Europe and it has fundamental infrastructure issues with things like air conditioning and heating. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's a recorded fact. That's that's in all the papers. Uh, you know, it's I like the, the Queen Elizabeth in Birmingham that flooded. Yeah, and this is a yeah. building that was, what, barely 10 years old, five years old, yeah, something like that? Yeah. And, and, then, and then let's look at, was it Cor- who was it that went bust, um, that left the hospital in Liverpool? Uh, Circle. So yeah, so so when you look at, at where we are, I don't I don't blame individual politicians. I don't blame individual ministers or permanent secretaries, health. I want to be really clear in this so that people don't think that we're just taking a kick. The system's gobbled. Mm-hmm. The procurement system, the transparency of it. The, you know, staff saying that's not working, that's not working, that's not working, to wait three years for people to go, oh God, that's not working. Yeah. By which time contractors have gone bust, they're beyond accountability, you know, people have made money from this. The cycle that there is a, I, I, I stand by my opinion and I say not about any company to keep ourselves right, but there is a, there is a corruption where either it's morally, or financially 
people somewhere are making decisions which impact on the lives of people that we're left to help support them to pick up the pieces mm-hmm. of their lives. And I choose my words clearly. We don't pick the pieces of people's lives up and put them back together. That's not our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people are making decisions that pe- that, that lives, um, that, that productivity and output means more than the life of an individual, whether that's a nurse or a, or, or a contractor that we bring in. or there, There's something fundamentally wrong with that, Ed. Mm-hmm. You know, this this very narrow-minded mentality. So how can you expect the well-being of the nation to be better when we live in a society like that? How can you expect suicide to come down when we live in a society where, you know, we work in it, we come home and it's all that's over the media. And then you read tweets from people condemning our services. And I think, oh, my word, I, I, I know how hard my colleagues are working. Mm-hmm. But, but it is that why would why would suicide rates come down? when all of the triggers for suicide are going up mm. and but, and and the very support network for people who are feeling suicidal is being withdrawn or it, it's just it's unraveling really mm-hmm. isn't it and and so much of it is being left over to um to the to the charitable sector as well and 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 i think me as an rmn when when i'm dealing with somebody in crisis and and just saying you know this is this is a terrible thing i understand um let's let's get a contingency plan in place for you not to knock the work they do but i don't want to have to tell people to phone samaritans i need you to phone a free charity what i want to be able to say is here is a care plan that the nhs is providing because this is what a healthcare service does this is uh-huh. you know if you phone this number a fully trained mental health nurse or mental health practitioner is going to be around your house and will talk you through this but you we shouldn't, shouldn't have to say and no go to uh, a charity yes, who will do this, this as long as people me. keep donating to you be absolutely clear i am not slagging any charity, I know that these people and will have yeah. saved lives, right? But what's wrong with us when we have to apologise for saying, I don't believe that any of this, when it comes to mental health, I'm not saying we're the experts in everything. But when you're running out of options and you're saying to someone, I'm leaving their door, as I've had to do when I worked in crisis services, I'll see you tomorrow morning if you need to speak to anyone during the night. You can call this number of NHS 24 or this number of the Samaritans. Now, I've got colleagues in crisis who will go out at night, but that's a really thin resource. How do they, how do they um, prioritise? How do, you know, we, we are so dependent. We shouldn't apologise for saying, I believe that things like that should be available to people 24 hours a day within the NHS. Because mm-hmm. if you shut down A&E and said, well, you can sit with your broken leg. Yeah. Until tomorrow and, and, morning. Yes, and and, and then, then somebody will come around to see you. There's a company who do x-rays for charity. You can go and get your yeah. diagnostics done. And then when you got your diagnostics done, then we'll just book you into an orthopedic ward for your open fracture. Oh, I mean, no, I know no. I'm being we won't book you in. We'll I, refer you to an orthopedic ward. I, I, I know I'm being glib. For six months. I, I know I'm being glib, but the reality of the matter is how far down that that internal market force do you go? I mean, we've got some cracking colleagues in third sector. I'm thinking about people like Combat Stress. You know, in Scotland, we've got, you know, um, Sam H. And, you know, we've got um, 
the, the as you said, um, the Samaritans as well. I mean, these are nationally and internationally recognised, you know, um, services with massive bodies of evidence who take what they do very, very seriously and they're very, very expert about it. But they're so dependent on charitable monies and so dependent. I mean, they're living hand and mouth as well in many cases. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all competing for bits of money coming from the governments to deliver care, and we all we all share these these individuals. No one sits in perfect isolation, you know. And, and no and, funding and is protected. That's that's the other no. thing. Well, the, nothing the, is the nothing is doesn't spent. follow the patient. No, the fun. You know, we we don't think holistically, but yet as nurses, we are charged with writing holistic care plans, evidence based care plans. Um, we're charged with writing care plans which reflect the individual's wishes. I mean, in all three counts there, Ed, how much actual control do we as RMNs have over any of that? The cynic in me will say probably a negative number in that, <laughs> you, you know. The, the, I mean, we, you know, we've we've all been at the conferences, we've all engaged with those conversations on social media where um, somebody will, will come out and say, I will always go the extra mile for my patients. I will do whatever it takes and I will produce a holistic um, multi-point care plan that will encompass recovery and it will be co-produced and all of that stuff. And I think one of one of the difficulties in having conversations like these in the wider world is that somebody will come on and start going on about the the worthy aspect of the of the idealistic side of it you know this is what the paperwork says this is what nice guidance says and therefore i do that every single time without fail to 50 percent higher standard than is required and and i will always do that and everybody will pile on and just say that's why you're an amazing nurse and that's why you're an amazing nurse um i've never ever seen it done <laughs> to the standard that it should be i have i've literally I've, I've worked in mental health for 10 years um which is not as long as you and it's not as long as, as a lot of people but i have literally never seen that happen i've never seen a care plan referred to by a clinician i've never seen uh, a, a service user just going nurse jackie and i did this fantastic uh, care plan and and we just want to share it around because i, I found it that it was just empowering and life-changing um you know and and I've, I've i've never ever had a conversation where you refer someone from one part of a service to another part of the service and you ping over the care plan and they go this is really good this is really <laughs> fantastic do you know what thank you for sending that care plan through that's really informed our pattern of care <laughs> You know, the, but Ed, you hit on a really these, important point. This mm-hmm. is not. This is we we work in a world. See, for me, I, I've been thinking a lot about this in the run up to us doing this, and trying to think of the metaphors. Hang that, on a second. Were you? Did you prepare for this? Um. Yeah, about ten minutes before you, <laughs> while you were making okay, a cup of right. tea. God, right. <laughs> and, Thank goodness for I'm, that. Okay. I just done. I just done my daughter's bedtime, and um. She's into kind of traditional fairy tales at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister gave her this cracking book, and people don't want to hear that. But anyway, the reality. I want to hear that. Is, I need ideas. <laughs> right. And 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 when you look at them, like we know that there's this um, social subtext in a lot of these um, nursery rhymes and traditional 
uh, fairy tales which come from as telling a story of times past of poverty and famine and hunger and of talking goats that run across bridges but the reality of the matter is our, our public figures our politicians are living in a modern fairy tale you know yeah. whether it, you know it's it's the jack and the beanstalk metaphor of planting beans that will beget you a magic beanstalk that at the top of which will be your Brexit and your exit and your everything will be great and then we can get on yeah. with the idea of running the country and then we just run down like Barney is the giant and we, we go up the up the beanstalk, we take what we want from Europe, they'll quite happily let us plunder them, get the deal we want and he'll jump down and chop down the beanstalk in time for the giant not to get back down. Mm-hmm. You know, are the, are the emperor's new clothes... Um, when, when I keep hearing these two very divisive um, very divisive and very nationalistic views on whether Scotland should be independent or whether we should leave Europe. We've we've just had a, an election off the back of two constitutional matters. I am not qualified anywhere near enough to have an opinion that people will have any view on. But, my, but we've lost an opportunity to fix some of the terrible situations facing people all because of Brexit. A party that I'm a member of couldn't just work out some really clear messages that go to the root of what the <laughs> Labour Party is and actually convince people that, that w- why couldn't people trust that? What's happened in, in communities where people can't trust that left of centre or even the bloody centre would be helpful? Do you know? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's this whole, you know, the, the yes, it's, and that's why I go back to that um, that, that, that view of those those fairy stories, you know, I sort of feel that there's a troll under a bridge at the moment, and we're all too scared to cross it. I sort of feel that I'm lost in the woods, like Hansel or Gretel, and there's no hope, and mm-hmm. I don't really know how this I'm, story I'm ends. I'm starting to put faces to this troll, and I'm yes. just wondering, if is it Boris Johnson? Is it Katie Hopkins? Is it? <laughs> Do you know, and it, there's a word, there's a reason why we have internet trolls, isn't there? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's there's, there is something about and my girl's asking me about and why are there trolls and why are there giants and you know these things don't exist well I tell you what if you put yourself in a position of someone that our services rely upon the people who use our service that's not a fairy tale that nightmare exists there are giants mm-hmm. of corporacy and of capitalism there are trolls of, politi- of politics who and make bureaucracy as well yes the- they make it hard to live a, a safe life. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to your care plans. How do you write those those care plans with those commitments to listen to the individual, to reflect their values, to manage the risk that they pose to themselves or the wider community? Be holistic, be recovery focused. When in actual fact, as RNNs, how much control do we have of anything, Ed? Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, working in crisis, how, how how not only how do I incorporate all of those things into that care plan, that co-produced care plan, how do I do 13 of them in yeah. a 12-hour shift? Yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. Just if, if, you, if that question but you have my job mean, you'll have easier. you'll have every job in your, your service filled. There'll be no vacancies and nobody will be off sick, Ed. All those nurses will be there. So, I mean, it's a question of resilience, Ed. I mean, oh, know, right, what are you right. doing to make sure that you're resilient? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing to make sure that I'm resilient, Stuart, because I'll get struck off. 
<laughs> Do you think the so NMC will listen to this? <laughs> as we, as, I, as, as we discussed some time ago, orders to have it used and evidence. That's, the that's what we said. Uh, yeah, when we were planning this, that we would submit this as uh, as our uh, participatory CPD, and uh, you and I will just send each other a certificate. And uh, this is basically one long. Slightly drunken. I was going to say I'll bang one out just now, but that could be taken the wrong way. That so. is. Please don't do that on Skype. I can see you. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to the absolute state of things. So look, we've we've looked at this election result. The Conservative Party have won a majority, uh, a surprising majority. It's it's you know their majority is what eighty something. Um, they're going to get through whatever they want to get through in this parliament. I think we need to be sort of resigned to that fact. Um, but to get the the politics and the nursing onto the page, what do you think was the profile of nurses in this election? What was the importance of, of mental health in this election? Did it figure? Did it need to figure? Should it, it, it figured, figured for the first it figured very early when um the bold Hancock um misrepresented figures um around fifty thousand more nurses mm-hmm. and um and I think I think the health unions absolutely allowed their their stats and their their, their positions to be abused. That's my view. I, I, I don't think that we were front and centre enough. Um, I don't think that any of the health associated unions um, were vociferous enough in pursuing their manifestos. I don't think they were quick enough off the mark to pin prospective candidates to um, pledges. And that's where we need to be. We need to get the new breed of politician. We need to get to them sooner as nurses. We weren't allowed to make health and social care central and pivotal in what I believe the first general election that's been fought on constitutional matters alone. Health, social care, Mm -hmm. goodness me, even foreign policy didn't really offer, and I mean foreign policy with a big F, our Mm -hmm. place in the world as global citizens. Mm -hmm. The environment didn't figure at all. You know, mm-hmm. when actually the right one the thing we're hiding from, right in the midst mm-hmm. of a climate crisis, which will have massive impacts for the health and well-being of citizens, we're already seeing migration off the back of drought and famine in Africa. You know, mm-hmm. and and we're not talking about these situations. We're just this little Britain sitting in the middle of a bit of water. You know, perilously British um, water, though. Yeah, perilously poised to just sit in isolation, which will only bring further isolation at, within the country. And was nursing a focus? God, no, we slipped off the agenda really, really quickly. We allowed it. We should have grasped those constitutional issues and married them up with what was important to healthcare in that constitutional crisis, how Brexit will impact positively and negatively. Because let's face it, there's going to be two sides to everything. Brexit might work, Ed, you know, and I'll be sitting with egg in my face. But does it mean that I want to be independent from Europe? Well, actually, no, I think we're better off in Europe. That's just my view. No, I mean, um, if, if Brexit is a success and there is egg on my face, I, I will quite happily go, do you know what? 
I was completely wrong. You lot were completely right. And I'm really happy that this has been made a success. The problem is that we all know that that's not going to happen. The situation that you, you, you rightly raise around, you know, bringing it back to being a mental health nursing, it, you, you would not be, you wouldn't, you, you could be forgiven for thinking that there are people in Westminster who actually would derive benefit from some of the medications that we, we administer. Because yep. the, the way in which they hold on to these these invisible threads of truth with no rigour in their arguments, you could forgive for being delusional. And I mean that sincerely. I, uh, I've no, had the, I would definitely get, the experience get in there. of working with people who absolutely clad iron believe what they're telling you, but you know they're not well. Yeah. You know, but I treat those people with the same respect I'm treating those politicians and saying, right, okay, it's your democratic right to stand, it's your democratic right to choose whatever party. But I don't think they're treating us with the same respect as citizens. Oh no. Absolutely you not. Know, if you were to apply, if you were to make politicians register with a governing body who who monitored them and regulated them, God they would all be struck off. Half of oh, absolutely. Could you imagine? So which raises my well, question around regulation of politicians. Yes, yes Mr. Rees-Mogg, um, I just wanted to, uh, this hearing has been called because uh, while you were meant to be working in the House of Commons, you were observed by a number of people to be asleep uh, in your place of work. Now, so how many <laughs> nurses know? have been suspended and disciplined for falling asleep on night shift? And how many members of the House and of And I'm not saying that's right. Accountable? Yes. No, but, but we pay them to be there. They're paid that he's in the workplace. He's meant to be doing his job. And I, I will say, for the purposes of balance, Jacob Rees Mogg is not the only <laughs> politician to have fallen asleep in the House of Lords, which is equally releasing for him, but also quite, yeah, damning <laughs> for, for the others. Um, on their mobile phones. Could you imagine? Yeah. You know, look at those police uh, that, playing that, Candy that, Crush. That, yeah, and, and, you know, there was a couple of cops sitting in their car on their lunch break on their phones and people took pictures of it and, you know, before you know it, they're disciplined without yes. knowing the backstory on it, that they were probably working through their lunch again. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, that's the police and it's important, whereas the politicians who are making the laws that regulate these things, it doesn't really matter if they're sleeping through that, does it? <laughs> we think it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really taxing. I, was, I wasn't sleeping, I was contemplating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you snore when you contemplate. Oh, yeah. That's, that's really, that's the nicest thing you've said to me. It was almost romantic. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, um, I'm thinking about what we're saying about the, the mess that society is in. So, you know, we're looking at, People who are holding on to ideas that don't make any sense. Uh, we're looking at increases in racism and xenophobia. We're looking at um, more people being sent to the periphery of society. You know, people being intentionally excluded. Again, to relate some of that back to our our workplace. So, if you were a nurse on shift. And you've got 12 people in your ward and one of them has been shunned by the other um, occupants of the ward. If one of them has been targeted, if one of them is being subjected to abuse by 
the majority of people in that ward, including staff. Is that a safety incident? What's your role as a as a mental health nurse? And I'm speaking partially rhetorically here, but if mm-hmm. if we see that in our workplace, we would be speaking up about mm-hmm. it. You know, that would be a patient safety issue. And that if you would didn't be a professional stop, you'd issue. Be accountable. And if you you'd didn't. be accountable. So what I'm getting at here is we're mental health nurses and we're seeing these things that are happening in society. It's not happening necessarily in our, our workplace, but it's happening in <laughs> in everything that isn't our. Yeah, that's that's the thing that it's it's almost better to be inside the hospital than it is to be outside of it, because outside of it is where you're seeing people being shunned, people being excluded, people being oppressed and victimized, people being driven to poverty, people having their rights stripped away from them. You know, we we know what the the uh, UN special rapporteur said about the benefit system yep. uh, in the UK. We know that it's discriminating against people with disabilities. We know that it's discriminatory and inaccessible to people who have um, severe mental health problems, purposely uh, inaccessible. That is a patient safety issue. So how are we going to address that? Surely that that falls, yeah. But but surely (laughs) that that falls into our our role as an advocate Mm -hmm. to say, you know, this this is unsafe behavior. These are unsafe attitudes. These are unsafe policies. You're making unsafe decisions. How do how do we do that? Get that voice out. Where are our leaders? Where are our leaders? Where are our nurse? Where is our nursing voice? Where 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 are the the where are the you know the the tabloid um, paragraphs and the minutes in press? It's not a story because it's real. It's not a story Mm -hmm. because um, as nurses, the majority of us want to own it and fix it, but we don't know how. We don't know how to be heard. Yeah. Because we when we when we do shout, nobody listens. They only listen when we threaten to remove our labour. At which point we get a response, and half of us don't want to threaten to do that because that's not what we come into nursing to do. I don't believe we will strike over our pay or our pensions. I believe that we will end up striking over protecting our patients, Ed. Directly, not indirectly, not through the argument. If you don't pay nurses well, they'll be undervalued. And that there will be some correlation with health outcomes. We know yeah. all that research is there. Safe staffing legislations upon us. When does it get to the point where we are mobilised because we can't put up with it anymore? Because the choices mm-hmm. are put up with it and be brought down by it and become an agent of it through being complicit or find a way of standing up to it write those letters to your MP to say, I'm really concerned about this. What are you going to do about it? Write those mm-hmm. letters to the papers. Do a podcast. You know, somewhere that spark has to ignite. But I, I genuinely believe, you know, I've got another 20 years of this before, if I live that long, um, you know, before this goes. And, it, and it's serious, you know. I, I think as we mm-hmm. develop this, we will, we'll grow that and we can, you know, we can speak to other people. But this is, I believe this is you and I, this is our way of trying to find some like-minded people, Ed, who, who want to be the, the advocators, the agitators, 
the instigators. I'm not scared of that label because it's my right. It's, it's my God-given mm-hmm. right, my you know my civil right to be able to to speak my mind without um, prejudice in the care of my patients. I'm not this angry about this election outcome because of what's in my pay packet or because of my pension. I'm angry because I consistently see services that are delivered for people marginalised in society being pushed even further to limit. And I see good colleagues burning out and I see people retiring as soon as they can get a chance. We're not valued. We're not valued. Our expertise is not valued. No. You know, I think the public value it when they need it and they want to get behind us, but we're not giving them the tangible messages. They're 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 immune to the you know the Channel Four disclosure documentaries of of um, people wearing hidden cameras about how bad things can be, and the fatal accident inquiries. People have become numbed by that modern form of television. You know, you mm-hmm. either get because one it's become every, normal. It's yeah, regular. it's normal. We've normalised it. Ed. We've, we, you know, we've now got tele for tele, television programmes where you can follow the prosecute. You know, the convict, you not the conviction, but the charging of someone in twenty four hours or forty eight hours, and one born every minute. Um, where we 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 look at the lives of individuals coming in to give birth, or you know, dispatches talking about the poor situation in nursing homes or women disability services or mental health hospitals. Goodness me, hospital in Dundee, not far away from me, had a terrible time in the media. You know, and, and, and again with the BBC's narrative and very narrow reporting, nobody asked to see what other health outcomes had come out of that hospital or look at the conditions and how hard it was for individuals to work in there and what the nurses were going through. One person does not reflect an entire population of nurses or service users, but I tell you right now, I'll, I, I'll, I'll sit with egg in my face, I don't believe that that parliament reflect the values of this country, of these four these nations that are, that are the UK, and I don't believe that in the main that they get the hardships that people in their constituencies are facing. Oh no. You know? I, I, I mean, I, I, th- I think most, most people would be agreeing, at least to some extent, that this election was all about Brexit, Yeah. and that idea of get Brexit done. But there's there was just precious little discussion in the public sphere of anything beyond Brexit about but what, what nursing organisation was trying to bring it to the fore. Who was banging the drumhead? Mm-hmm. I don't buy this quietly influencing through the permanent secretary's offices. I don't buy that. That there is the time for quietly influencing, and there is the time for coming alongside and guiding people and getting that's your arm around the old Hancock, isn't it? You that know? is not. Well, yeah, but, you, can, you can. But we're not in that. Hancock. We're not in that. Uh, not in that environment. We're not in that place. No. And I tell you what, we're not. Twenty ten might have majority. worked for that. We're, we're not in that environment now that they've got a majority because they don't need to listen now. They don't need and, to listen. And so, the voices of nursing. And, you know, we're both RCN members and a lot of what we refer to will be about the RCN because it's what we know. But yeah, not it's, picking it's on them. Yeah, but, but speaking about all of the health unions, this was not a high enough profile issue in, yeah. in the election. And, you know, Len McCluskey was very vocal about respecting the outcome of the referendum. Why was he not speaking up for his members instead? Yeah. Why was it, you know his his focus was on 
getting Brexit done and delivering that vote from 2016, Len McCluskey's job surely is to speak for the members of Unite. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it is Unite, isn't it? I have got the right yes, union for the health unions needed to be out there and just saying you've got to get your heads out of Brexit. They should have been really vocal and saying this election is not about Brexit. This election should be about fixing this broken system. That is, I kid you not, driving people to suicide. Absolutely. And And where in all of that, surely there's a vacuum for a collaborative union of health unions. Mm -hmm. Surely, surely that was the time for the BME, for the RCN, for Unison, for Unite, for the RCM. Surely there, is, there, is, there, there, are, there are like-minded souls like us who would collaborate and work together in a union, a congress of health unions. Because mm. I tell you what, we need to mobilise over the next five years. Some sort of we trade be... union congress. Yeah, honest. for health unions. Yeah. You know, yeah. because if we don't want to take, if we don't want to take our health union into a, a union of congress, a, a union of unions, that, that don't truly reflect our industry, our sector, then surely we should be looking to collaborate more directly mm-hmm. and, and less subtly with colleagues who, who do have a shared interest in protecting the NHS and do have a shared interest in protecting the most vulnerable in our societies. Those unions that represent doctors, nurses, OTs, physios, social workers, healthcare assistants, porters, you know, the people who keep our hospitals running when we're not there sure we all have a vested interest in pulling our, our combined might together because i tell you what if we did that we'd probably get more bloody votes than labor mm-hmm. certainly in scotland <laughs> is it, is it seven votes and in scotland <laughs> i think you're over optimistic there <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and I, I think that's you know I, I think that's the sad situation that we're in that we we we're just we keep looking there's, there's too much navel gazing. We just look straight ahead and we fail after heads and, and actually look around us. And, you know, we all have, if we can find that one thing we have in common, surely we should strive for that together because I don't believe any one union is going to be listened to seriously now. I, I just don't. I just don't. And if nurses are paying their hard-earned cash for subs at a time when many of them can least afford it, they then need they, need be getting, they need to get something back, Ed. They need mm-hmm. to be getting something back. I do at the very least think that our colleagues in Northern Ireland might benefit from having a complete rebate on their union fees for this year. Uh, I, I think given where we're at, then there has to be conversations about how um, there's a time for furthering the field and a time for furthering the profession, but there's no point in furthering the field or the profession if there's no bloody people in the profession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's like it's like taking out some super glue once you've hit the iceberg. You know, I, I, it, we're just not going to patch that up, and I and I really do worry. Um, I do worry for the state of of the well-being of nurses at this moment in time. I want more people to feel that they can engage in these mm-hmm. in, in conversations like this. Yeah. You know, we have this wonderful thing in the RCN called Congress. And Which both of us have been through a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I, I feel we need more space to have these conversations publicly, digitally, um, where real voices and real accents and real lived experience comes to the fore. Um, 
I, I really feel we're in a we live in a sanitized world sometimes and I think people need to start hearing the harsh reality of it and I'm hoping our little podcast in that little way just Thanks starts picking away at it <laughs> and and I think that this, there is this uh, I mean if you're ever on some of the, the Facebook forums for nursing and somebody will express an opinion about something and, and you can guarantee on every single post somebody will go um, I thought we were supposed to be apolitical Oh, and, uh, yeah, and it's just that is that is nursing possibly is that that is the the absolute essence of it there is nothing in nursing there is nothing in healthcare, there is nothing in society i don't believe that is not within the realms of being political and so long as we maintain this idea that nurses should be apolitical i think we do a gross disservice to, to yeah. the people that are in our care um yeah and 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 now what better time than right now when we're facing an extremely right-wing government with a majority a, a very hostile government who are not just hostile to health but are an, an active threat to it um what better time than now to to really smash that idea of being apolitical to pieces yeah and say and we are political and, and we need to lobby about things and and we don't necessarily have to endorse one political party oh, although i would be in favor of, of that doing sometimes um but we have certainly got to get out there and say this is simply not good enough this is mm-hmm. this is dangerous this is costing is that people holding people to account it in yes. a democratic society yeah you know but doing it from a position of uh where we've got really expert information i think as nurses actually we're really well placed to do it because you know when you see policy being shaped and this is not just in the uk this happens globally when you see policy being shaped it's being written by um medics for the most part you know the the politicians want something to change they'll get the doctors in and the doctors will do that and then the change is handed down and nurses just have to deal with it. You know, yeah. nurses get involved in implementing policy, but we're not invited to the table to write it. And and this is that time where we need to kick doors open. And the and, model's there. And, and find our the, voice. And to be yeah. fair, for the, in Scotland, I have, to be, I have to be fair. The devolved parliament does engage well. Mm-hmm. It does engage well. It's much more accessible. And perhaps that's a conversation... You know that we can start to pick up if people pick up and on on, on on listen to us. I mean, maybe that's we run our next one over. You know, um, you know how political does nursing have to be, and 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 you know yeah. what lengths do we have to go to to get listened to in terms of our influencing, or our sponsorship, or our um our essentially endorsement. Um, for me, I'm really keen to explore that in detail, and I'm really keen yeah, to essentially to go to my bed in the next ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, little snowflake. Listen, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you tonight. I look forward to this. Listen, this is episode number one of uh, of a brand new podcast. Neither of us have any idea if anybody's going to listen to it. I've built a website, uh, which I haven't even told you about. It it literally took took me five Mm. minutes. It looks like it took five minutes. Um, but folk can look at that. I've set up a Twitter account. Um, there's a Facebook page as well. If you want to go out and Google RMN behaving badly, um, then it'll be uh, on there a couple of times. The Twitter account is at RMNBB podcast. Um, 
but search us online. We're going to be on SoundCloud, and I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in the blurb. Um, yeah. We don't know what we we're going to talk about next about episode. It. Yes, we will. Yeah. And we're going to try and get our, our friends to share all of this. I think please um, help us. Because yeah. we're trying, I think there's, there is something nice about um, a community around it, Ed. I think the reality of the matter is we have to have more of these conversations, and there, there's a there's a group of nurses out there somewhere who need us to um, to open those, to make it accessible for them, Ed, and not yeah. feel that they have to be in elected positions, as in large, cumbersome societies and organisations, or be fellows or masters or graduates mm-hmm. or. This is the NHS is as much theirs, health and social care, yeah. private public sector is as much theirs as it is anyone else's. Yeah. So if we can get that message out, then I'm all about that. Yeah. And I, I did want, I kind of lost my thread there for a second, but what I wanted to say was that nurses are really well placed to do this because yeah. we've got access to the evidence base. But the other thing that we do is we engage with people in real life. And we tend, you know, we come into this thing with an evidence base for it, but we also come in with narrative, with story. And like you were saying at the beginning, we come in with myth and, uh, and you know, fairy tales. The power, <laughs> the power of the power of stories. You know, what happens is is this, the reason that we listen to fairy tales and. Uh, and, and all of that still is because there is truth behind it. There's a universal yes. truth behind it. And what we do as nurses is we bring these stories in of my patient from Sierra Leone, your patient <laughs> with that forensic history. We bring that story. We bring it forward. We keep it anonymous and we protect our patient's identity and their confidentiality. But we bring that story to the fore and we say, this is actually what's going on in the world. This is the truth mm-hmm. of it, and it's we tell that around, is it? through through narrative, um, rather than uh, 3.74% of them um, are in this situation. We go, this guy, this guy who crawled to this country and hid underneath a lorry to get here. You know, if we can keep one thing in mind in terms of the role of what we do, is that anybody who engages with us to help us um to, to push this through you know guide us tell us what you want to talk about you know mm-hmm. use your stories and your narratives to help guide us because yeah. you know we're going to sit here and rabble on about this anyway because we need a way to vet to vent <laughs> yeah and 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 you know and i think that we need you know some of us um need to grasp that nettle and and for you and i we've tried to influence successfully and to, to, to a level of success and unsuccessfulness <laughs> that within is a structured, organised, um, you know, approach. And, and I need to be really, really clear. I, I've got nothing but respect for for um, the people who work for professional organisations like the ones I'm a member of. I know they do a tough job, but there are some things that you can't say when you're in paid employment. Mm-hmm. Um and there are some things that you can't do when you have governance structures which um, are antiquated or are purposely used to to, to stop progress. Mm-hmm. Um, we own this, and by virtue of this, we don't own the name RMN, so we want to engage with RMNs. This is just yeah. our view. Absolutely. And if be- behaving badly and having a little bit of mischief means that we get people stoked and we get people engaged, well, do you know what? I'm all for that. We both love to hear other people's voices. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, we're just going to pick folk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> do you know what write in with suggestions because otherwise we're just going to make it up and oh yeah <laughs> like the politicians do yeah. <laughs> they seem to be able to get away with it and their pensions are far better than ours do you know what we're in the wrong job uh, do you know what i think actually ed i have to say we're probably in the right job thanks very much for listening cheers folks That was the first and possibly the last episode of RMN Behaving Badly. Your hosts were Stuart McKenzie and me, Ed Freshwater. You can join this nonsense on Twitter. We're at RMNBB Podcast. Stuart is at Stewie McKenzie and I'm at Ed Freshwater. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud. You can like our page on Facebook or view our blog at www.rmnbehavingbadly.co.uk. The intro music was I Want It by EpiJ, and the delightful tune you're hearing now is Nouvelle Noel by Kevin MacLeod, which we got from the wonderful Incompetech website. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time.